We are almost halfway through this season and would like to answer some listener questions about the episodes that have aired until now. They are such intuitive questions and we'd like to thank all the listeners who have submitted them. If you have a question or comment about the show, please find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our Patreon page at Without Warning. The best episodes are yet to come this season, so continue to download, listen, and share. Danielle, this season, we have had many people reach out to ask about consequences and what happens from here. Does the Cruz family have any kind of recourse? What we found out? No. No. No, it's really unfortunate. Like we heard attorney Tom Shaw say on the last episode, you know, the judge may be a little bit more cautious next time as far as not believing everything that the county says they're going to bring into evidence that it actually does happen. I mean, she definitely knew that it's happened before and just something to watch for. But yeah, I mean, when you essentially lie in court to a judge, there should be repercussions on that. And to find out that there's not is really disheartening. Not only that, going back to Jennifer Rose, when we went to give her the subpoena, I did not know that the law was the 2016 subpoena was still active, that they had an obligation. Let's go back to Jennifer Rose. She wasn't complying with a 2016 subpoena. She was obstructing the family from getting what was legally theirs. And there's no repercussions for her. Jennifer Rose, once again, is the custodian of records for Swifts. And, you know, even in the event that she didn't know, the attorney that represents Swifts, who's Ashley Fort, she would know that the original subpoena should include any kind of documents or anything that has been asked for past that date. You know, you and I both learned from Tom Shaw that a subpoena doesn't expire. There's no expiration date on it. So anything that is asked for in the form of documents, test results, photos, it goes in perpetuity because it never expires. So anything that would have been added to the case file that falls within that original subpoena would not have to be asked for it again. It should automatically go. And to this day, we know for a fact that Swifts has not turned over everything. Again, no repercussions. And think about this. We have uncovered, which I think is a huge scandal, that the people that are working there are obstructing families from getting what they legally are entitled to, how many defense attorneys, how many other attorneys are not getting what is legally theirs? Well, we all know that there is a problem right now in Dallas County, not just with the Jonathan Cruz case. Dallas County and evidence are not synonymous right now. If you just do a simple Google search about the problems going on with Dallas County and evidence, you're going to see what we're talking about. And they have a big hurdle to overcome. So how do they fix it? Or do they fix it? Or do they want to fix it? I think it starts with the leaders of that county, starting with the DA. So this listener asked, 
How did you know that certain tests were missing from your files in the first place? That's a great question. In 2016, we subpoenaed all the records. What wasn't brought up in court was the fact that Tom Shaw had called over to Swift's. He and I talked about that can't be all the records. And so he made the phone call over to Swift's, spoke to someone who said, that's it. So we were under the impression that that was all the documentation. Fast forward to Daryl reviewing for the trial. He asked me about the blood stain pattern analysis. When Daryl called me, Daryl and I both knew that test had to have been performed. And the fact that we didn't have it and they said that we had everything, clearly that was incorrect. Danielle calls him and here's her call. Hello. Hello. Kaylee Slaughter calling from, or from Swift. Hey, how are you, Kaylee? Good. My name is Danielle. I'm a PI working on behalf of an attorney. We have a case going to trial next week in Dallas. And a piece of evidence that you guys tested, we're a little confused if a certain test was done. Are you able to look up the IFS number and let me know? Uh, yes. You already have the report for it? Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. What's the case number? So it's, and it would be item 11 if that helps. Okay. So it's a 2014 case? Mm, no. So on the evidence submission form, it's actually item 6534. But when I talked to your office this morning, whatever guy asked, answered the phone, he said, tell them it's item 11 and it's a sweatshirt. Okay. Item 11, a sweatshirt. Okay. You see that? Okay. So it looks like we requested to have blood spatter pattern tested. Okay. Do you know if there was any testing done on it for blood or only? Great. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, looks like it was done. Um, that's a different department than what I'm in. Um, but I can tell you the analysts and stuff. Is it okay, Michelle? So you're, you're, so you're wanting blood stain pattern analysis information? Yes. Any, if it was tested for blood, everything relating to the blood, uh, not GSR, okay. on the sweatshirt. On the sweatshirt only, though. Um, yes. Okay. So the blood stain pattern. David Spence. Okay. Let me look and see if we did blood testing. Okay. So it looks like. Blood testing was done on the sweatshirt, and blood stain pattern analysis was done as well. And I need to look. Um, this is a little bit older of a case, so I don't know if everything's in the system or if we'll have to go to the paper file. Okay, because we would need to probably subpoena that today. Okay. Okay. Um, and I don't know if DNA was ever done but I don't know what the results of the blood stuff was. Yeah. Blood is what I'm focusing on right now. Um, I, I, okay. Are you looking? Sorry, I'm try, I'm try no, that's okay. I didn't know if you were waiting for me or if you were yeah, looking. No, no. Take no. note. Take your time. Like, no, take your time. time. 
No, you take your time. I appreciate you looking into it. I've left Michelle a, a message this morning. Keep calling her back. I was told to ask for her, but time is of the essence. Oh, yeah. She's been in the lab all morning, I think. That's okay. It's just time is of the essence. Like I said, we may have to subpoena okay. it. So I want to, you know, make sure I get my ducks in a row. Okay, so yeah, it does look like the sweatshirt was tested for blood. Um, see. So yeah, we have a report for that. Positive. And a sample is collected. I can't see where DNA was ever done on it. Okay. On that blood stain. And then I don't know. But are there results? And you don't have to tell me over the phone. Were the okay. results of the blood test done? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the report will have the results and then what samples were collected from that. Okay. Or if samples were collected. And then there is stuff for blood, blood stain pattern analysis. I'm not familiar enough with, I'm sure they have report and stuff for that. Okay. That, look, that was completed. So yeah, there should be um, a blood stain pattern analysis report, a blood testing report, and then there is DNA done, but it doesn't look like anything was done on the sweatshirt. What I can see. And the only way to get these are through subpoena, or can the attorney come get them, or? Um, so the attorney, um, is it for the prosecution? Yes. Okay, so yeah, if the prosecutor just, uh, they can just email, and we'll just email it over. Okay. It might take, yeah, I'll have to, uh, it might be on site. I'll have to look. I think the, the packets, if they want more than just the reports, like the bench notes and stuff, are in the paper file, so we'd have to go get that. Um, but I think that's all on site. Okay. Okay. Oh, Kaylee, you are wonderful. What is your <laughs> direct line? Okay, it is 21. Okay. Uh, my name is Danielle. I might be calling you back after I talk to okay. the attorney. So just okay. wanted to let you know, okay? Okay, no problem. All right. So have that available. <laughs> okay. 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 So because we will be doing something today. So just kind of have it available. All right? Okay. All right, okay. Kaylee. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. All right. Bye. That is how we knew that information was being withheld. We've learned in the Danny Smith case that just because evidence is submitted to the forensic lab, it doesn't mean that the police department or the sheriff's department asks for those items to be tested. Just because they submit a hoodie doesn't mean they want it done on the hoodie. So our question was, in this case, Brenda's hoodie went to Swift's for examination did they do the testing? Did Capel police ask them to perform the testing on her? What they told us was, yes, they did run the testing. How do we get the results of that? Well, let me let you talk to the analyst who gave the, who did the results of the testing. I then called the analyst who wouldn't call me back at first. I had to keep calling her. And she said, yes, you can have the results, but you need a subpoena for them. She wouldn't even give them to Taylor Shaw, the attorneys. And we had to subpoena them again. Even though the original subpoena never expired and it should have fallen under those parameters, we subpoenaed them once again. And you heard the audio of it on the last two episodes. The next listener question is, 
What did you feel was your biggest hurdle going to trial? Well, after so many dates being changed and delayed, I had said to you, Sheila, I will believe it when we're sitting in the courtroom. So the biggest hurdle was getting there in the first place. After that, um, you know, in my case, it was the first time I attended a trial. So there was just a lot of moving parts. You know, I didn't even know if I could put my bottle of water on the table with the attorneys. You know, it was it was those kind of things that I was just so scared of um, or nervous about. But I just really wanted to make sure that the Cruz family was able to tell the story of what happened to Jonathan. And, and it's up to, you know, the jurors to decide. And that's always really nervous. These are strangers who are hearing the story for the first time. And you just really hope that the attorney and the family is able to tell the story of what happened in a manner that they believed it. For me, I believe not only getting to trial, but getting the city of Coppell to do the right thing and do the tests that should have been any kind of investigation basics. And now that we've got the video and a lot of the information we didn't have before, I now realize why they didn't want to provide that information because of how poor they look in their investigation and the poor job they did. I get that. But this case, you can overcome it as we did because it's so solid with any kind of forensic person. They could do what we did show that Jonathan did not shoot that gun. There were only two people in there, so it had to be Brenda. The next question is, why didn't the defense side have an expert? I believe Tom Shaw spoke to that in the trial. He said there's no expert that would agree that she did not shoot that gun. What was Brenda's demeanor in the courtroom prior to testifying? Several things to that question that I think I need to address. I was worried about the Cruz family and how they would feel in the same room with Brenda, knowing what they know now. I knew that Brenda was going to come in as prim and proper, dressed very conservatively, and be on her best behavior. What my investigation had shown was that Brenda was always the victim with all of her friends, with anybody who came in contact, her employers, that she was always the victim and she was always the underdog. That's what she presented. So I was wondering when we went to trial, how is she going to portray that to the jury? She comes in, she is dressed very conservatively. She has a new haircut. She's got her glasses and she is very contained. Having the Cruz family there was difficult because that's the first time they've been in a room with her. That's the first time they've seen her since they know the evidence and the evidence points that she shot the gun. Brenda walks in. She is very attached 
to her husband appears that she's the victim in that relationship. He was the protector. He was the one who constantly hugged her and shielded her. The parents were very interesting. She was surrounded by the in-laws. When Brenda took the stand, I was surprised that her hostility came across. You could read her body language. She did not want to be there, obviously. She did not want to answer questions. And she didn't want to be across from Pam and John Cruz looking at her. All of that came across. Then the questioning started and she tried originally to be the victim. She also had to sit across from Danny, who knows her very well. Danielle, you were there. What did you think? Well, I had never seen Brenda in person as you had. I had been told that Brenda is just this kind of meek, quiet, sheltered, tiny little person. And she came with her very severe bob haircut, her glasses, her cream-colored sweater, I think she had these platform shoes on that were like six inches high. And so I didn't see that mild, meek kind of shell of a person. To me, she looked conservative, but she seemed a strong conservative. Again, with the husband constantly holding her, you know, on breaks, they would hold each other, just be embraced for 20 minutes at a time, not saying any words, he would hold her and just rub her back. And then her in-laws came. More about who wasn't there for Brenda, though, is what really shocked me. She had no friends. She had no family. And none of the Kung Fu family was there either. So was that a deliberate decision or are those people no longer in her circle? What I also thought was interesting for as close as her and her husband were during the trial and during breaks, we would see them in the hallways several times. And again, he was just holding her, blocking her, shielding her. Yet some of Jonathan's friends saw her in the parking garage. Um, It was either during one of the breaks or coming to her from court and they weren't holding hands and they weren't even walking really close to each other. So I thought that was very interesting. You know, take that for what it is. Did you think her demeanor was hostile or not? It wasn't soft. And we'll get into this on a future episode, actually on the next episode. I thought that when she answered the first question from Tom, the question was about Pam and she started to answer it. And she was very quiet. As the questioning went on from Tom for the next hour and a half, however many questions he had, yes, the voice got different. It wasn't a snarky response. I don't know if hostile is the word, but those questions were affecting her and you could visibly see that and hear it in her voice. But we will talk about this in the next episode, but not affecting her as someone who lost the love of her life. That's all I'm going to say. The next question is, has Dateline followed the case from the beginning? In 2016, there was a lot of news covering the Jonathan Cruz case. 
not only Dateline, 2020, Daily Mail, and many others covered Jonathan Cruz case because it is not only a scandal, but a fascinating case on what could go terribly wrong in the criminal justice world with an investigation. This listener asked, who was present in the galley for each side? That's a great question because of the people that showed up. There were a lot of people following Jonathan Cruz's case. The media, there was a lot of media in the room. The uh, family's friends from church, Jonathan's friends who were directly affected by his death. My Patreon group came, which was amazing. And they helped a lot. They would get copies or made sure that we were taken care of. We weren't sleeping. Those women were such an asset to keeping us going. I was told by someone that the DA's office may be there. Not one day did they show up in court. And again, that is the person that Dallas County elected to be the voice for victims. We will have an entire episode on the DA, what transpired with the DA and his office. What was missing in the courtroom was Jonathan. You know, without Jonathan, none of us would have been there. But thankfully, in Tom Shaw's closing Jonathan's words were heard and his story was told. On a previous episode, Tom Shaw mentioned Jeffrey Bernard. Who is Jeffrey Bernard? Jeffrey Bernard is the highest paid county employee in Dallas. He is the medical examiner who runs SWIFTS. And we will be doing an entire episode on Jeffrey's handling of this case. The last question is, what can we expect to hear going forward this season? You'll hear from Brenda and what she was asked during trial. You'll hear from Swift's Jeffrey Bernard. You'll hear from the DA. You're going to get behind the scenes and why this is so important. The Cruz family is exposing what is going on in Dallas. There are numerous families that don't know this is going on. This is an opportunity for people to start righting a wrong. But if people don't know it's going on, you can't correct it. I don't believe in confronting people, but I do believe in writing letters. You can write the city council in Coppell. You can write the police station. You can write the DA. You can write Swiss. Now, I do realize that many of those letters are going to be thrown away and not paid attention to, but if you write them and you send me a copy, I will be happy to read them. Don't put anything on their Facebook page because they'll just delete it anyway. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah. Again, the whole reason I do what I do is for you to understand what really goes on behind the scenes because you watch 
TV and you think all police officers are like the ones that are solving the crimes. I wish it was that way. It's not. These families have to fight for something that is legally theirs. They have to fight to get justice. And when you have a solid case, then you have the obstacle of the Dallas DA John Crusoe, who is supposed to be the voice for the voiceless, but it's not even John Crusoe. He's got an office filled with attorneys that ambushed the Cruz family, and we'll talk about that. Thanks to all the listeners for your questions and your comments. And if you have any future comments and questions, please reach out to us. Without Warning Podcast will keep you on the edge of your seat questioning the truth, dissecting the evidence, and demanding justice. Prepare yourself for the ultimate true crime experience without warning podcast. Available now on all major podcast platforms.